Let's just pray, shall we, come before, before him. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the joy of serving a faithful God. We pray, Lord, that we um, open your word now. We pray that you will speak. And Lord God Almighty, it's you that we want to hear. We don't want to hear what man has to say. But we do want to hear what you have to say. So speak, Lord, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter uh, 41 that was read for us. And um, I want to talk to you tonight about the promises of God. There's one promise in this chapter. I want to talk to you tonight about the promise of God. Now, um, Wishy Sunak and um, Liz Trust are making loads of promises. They're telling us how they're going to reduce the energy crisis bill, how they're going to cut tax, how they're going to um, get us out of recession. Promises, promises, promises. But you and I both know that when a politician makes promises, they cannot be trusted. I remember being a, a young boy, and um, my father, um, who's passed now, he, he um, uh, was a bit drunk at the time, I do confess, but he got me and he sat me on his knee. And my father said, boy, he called me boy because he had five sons, he can't remember all their names. So he said, boy, one day this house will be yours. And I jumped off his lap, ran upstairs to my brothers, opened the door and said, guess what daddy said? Daddy said, this house is going to be mine. And they said, Jerry, he's told all of us the same thing. (laughs) We make promises. But oftentimes we don't keep our promises. The father who says to their son or daughter, I will meet you on Saturday, I'll pick you up. And he doesn't turn up. He breaks that child's heart. And he breaks his promise. And we too are guilty of doing that as well, aren't we? We say things like, yeah, I'll see you um, Saturday evening. I'll see you Sunday morning. And, and, and we intend to get there, but something crops up. And the person who was waiting for us, maybe waiting to receive something from us, has been let down. And our promise is broken. But you know what? God is not like man. God never breaks his promises. And there's a verse in the Bible that I like. Many of you know it very well. You can turn to it if you like. It's in Romans chapter 8. And it's in verse 30. And I love this. This is what Paul says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hell and high water will never stop God from fulfilling his promises to you. Isn't that wonderful? Praise be to God. But there's three things that I want to say regarding this chapter of Isaiah. Three things that I want that comes out very clearly. The first thing is this disqualified. Disqualified. Now I was um, watching the Commonwealth Games. I used to run the hundred meter sprint 
But now I seem to um, um, be able to do that distance in about three hours. Um, but I used to, and I love watching the men's one by, four by 100 metres sprint, and Great Britain actually won the gold medal. But I was very saddened by the Canadian team. You see, as they all lined up and, and they all went off, and the Canadians had a very strong team. And as they went round to the, the, the second to the third exchange of the baton, something went wrong, and the Canadian team got disqualified from that race. They disqualified themselves for the price. The promises of God are not for everyone. You see, we tend to want to um, and give people the promises of God and to, to text them and to email them to different people and to give the promises of God. And maybe you might see plaques of the promises of God in people's homes. And people like to have the promises of God. But the promises of God is, are, are not for everyone. And if we look at this chapter, we see that sadly... A group of people have disqualified themselves from the promises of God. Look with me at um, the verses, verse 5 and 7. And maybe you can detect what's happening in these verses. The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. They help each other and say to their companions, be strong. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith. And the one who smooths with a hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. One says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol. So it will not topple. The scene is set for us. Men from the ends of the earth all gathering together, all encouraging one another, all saying, come on, be strong, build this idol, be strong. The goldsmith encourages the one who wells and, and they look at their, their work and they marvel at it and they completely are amazed at it and they encourage one another. But how foolish that they nail down this idol, so it would not topple. It's a joke. It is a joke. But the sad thing is that our nation, Great Britain, have gathered around one another and have created different kinds of idols. It's all over the place. You know, I remember... Uh, watching on YouTube a, a Michael Jackson concert and also seeing um, a Beatles concert on YouTube. I even watched a Elvis Presley concert on YouTube and they all got the same thing in common. Thousands of young people screaming and shouting, fainting on the stage and having to be carried out because they're so overwhelmed and there was one part in the Elvis Presley concert that um, Elvis was, was on the stage and he was dabbing his head with a towel because he was sweating and he threw the towel to the crowd. And everybody jumps out trying to get hold of the towel. 
And I thought to myself, if I'd done that in my church, they would throw the towel back at me. (laughs) We make idols, don't we? Everywhere. And I said to a young man only this last week, I said to the young man, he was watching his football on. In fact, he was, he was my son, actually, and he, and he was watching Arsenal game, and he was shouting at the computer. And at the end, he was then looking at the um, commentators, speaking about the game. And I said to him, son, guard your heart against football. Least you make an idol of it and the reason why I said that to him was because before I went on holiday I was um, you know a, a man who's about my age in his late 50s um, he was he said to me oh by the way I might be at church on Sunday he said to me I think his team was Spurs I can't be sure but let's say it was Spurs he goes if Spurs win on Saturday night you'll see me on Sunday If Spurs lose on Saturday night, I won't be there. Well, I checked the scores and Spurs won on Saturday night. Came church Sunday morning, he wasn't there. So when I saw him next, he said, didn't the Spurs win Sunday night? Why wasn't you in church? He said, oh, you know, I got so excited. Jerry, I have to tell you this. Football is my God. The whole nation whether it's sport, whether it's work, whether it's cars, whether it's homes, whether it's children, whether it's husband, whether it's wives, the whole of our nation can so easily make a god, an idol. We don't need nails. We don't need a goldsmith. We don't need a welder. No, no, no. We can make an idol right here, right now. And God has no promise for men and women who make idols out of everything else. He has no promise. Doesn't matter how difficult life gets for them. Doesn't matter how hard life becomes for them. No matter how difficult the way is, they will never receive or never have the assurance of the promise of God. Jesus said, Why? is the gate or broad is the road that leads to destruction and many many are on it those many will never receive they have disqualified themselves from receiving the promise of God that's my first point I want to make this evening being disqualified well if you're going to be disqualified How then are we qualified to receive the promise of God? That's my second point. How then are we qualified to receive the promise of God? And to partake of that promise. Firstly, you need to understand this. There's nothing you can do. You have no skill, no ability and no goodness in and of yourself to receive the promise of God. Why do I say that? Well, look with me at verse 9 in our Bible reading. Look what it says here. 
I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. You couldn't get any further than this. He says here, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. Now, we know that God's everywhere. He's, he's not limited from space and time. But what God is saying here is that you were so far from me morally. You were so far from me. You had no holiness, no purity, no goodness about you whatsoever. You were so far from me. Even though you were so far from me, I called you to myself. Hallelujah. Even though you have no goodness in you. I like what one writer says. Paul in Romans when he says, quoting from the Old Testament, there is no one good. There is no one righteous not even one and when the lord says here i took you from the ends of the earth you were so far from me i like what he says over in um chapter 43 not just a call he didn't just make a general call did it say something like all the people over in bow come to me all the people over in Essex come. No, it doesn't make a general call. The Bible says, actually, he calls us by name. Look with me in Isaiah 43. Just turn a page over. 43 verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When God calls you, he calls you by name. He knows you individually. He knows your quirks and your problems and the things that you do privately. He knows you and yet he calls you by name. Now, some people make the mistake or thinking that they're not too bad, really. Come on. I'm not that bad. You know, I pay my taxes. I'm faithful to my wife and to my husband. I made the mortgage on the mortgage payments. I've been paid. You know, I've never been in trouble with the law. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, surely, you know, God knows my name anyway. Because <laughs> I'm such a, a decent citizen. A hard-working woman, a hard-working man. Surely God knows my name. That's why I'm in church, not only on Sunday morning, but I'm in church Sunday evening as well. God knows me. Now, I praise the Lord that he saves and he rescues all types of people. He rescues judges and police officers and he rescues criminals as well. But if you and I think that we are called and saved because of our own goodness, our own goodness, then we are greatly mistaken. I think that problem is not so much outside in the world. People out the world, they may 
know that they're not that great. But I think sometimes the problem is they win the church. People who are in the church have a tendency to think that they're okay. Not too bad. Not like those outside the building. Turn with me in your Bibles if you can. This is a very important reading to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus is speaking. And as Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, look what Jesus says in those verses. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, not some, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did we not preach on Sunday mornings at church at Goldings? Did I not preach on a Sunday night in the Bow Church? Lord, didn't I do all these things? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, the truth is, God calls men and women who know that they are completely spiritually bankrupt. That's the people whom he calls. God calls men and women who know that they've got sin dwelling within their hearts and in their lives. God calls men and women, okay, what walk of life they may be. They might be sitting as judges in our courts. But once God calls them, the main thing that that judge will see and understand is that they are awful. And their sin is great. And they say with Isaiah, woe is me. I am ruined. I remember I went to a prayer meeting. In fact, it was a prayer meeting that Henry organized. And I went to a prayer meeting and I went in in my jeans and my t-shirt. I looked a bit like a criminal, just robbed the post office. And I came in in my jeans and my t-shirt and I sat down. And and as I sat down, a man walked in to the prayer meeting. Came straight from his workplace. And he worked as a judge or a barrister. He came in in his barrister clothing. White fluffy shirt. Dark suit. Gold cufflinks. And he walked in and I looked at my clothing. I looked at him. I thought I looked like a criminal. But this man actually is a pastor of a church. And he knows that he is saved by grace and by grace alone. No matter what standard or what, how he's dressed, it's what God has revealed to him in his heart. That qualifies you. Now you may turn around and say, well, I don't feel that I'm so awful. Well, you need to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, reveal your spirit to me. See, let me see my condition. Let me see my heart. You need the spirit of God to reveal to you just how awful and how wicked you are. 
And I believe some Christians, they hear sermons every day telling them just how good they are, how wonderful they are, how great they are, and they leave feeling, oh, I'm such a wonderful person. But we need to come to that place when we say with Peter, I'm full of sin, away from me, Lord. We say with the Apostle Paul, wretched man am I, who can deliver me from this body of sin? That qualifies you to receive the promises of God. Hallelujah. That qualifies you. Now that being said, I come to my third and my final point as I close this message. What is the promise in this book, in this chapter? What is the promise? Well, we see the promise. It's there in um, verse 10. And we're going to break down this promise as we look at this is a glorious, wonderful promise. And look at it in verse 10. So God is speaking and God says this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The first thing God says is this. Do not fear. I believe when I read those words, I think the Lord is speaking about the future. Nobody knows what the future holds. We all know that it would probably hold some unpleasant things in the future. We all know that. And you think about the future, you might have questions. Like, who would I marry? Where would I live? Um, You know, what job would I do? What is my retirement going to be like? What is going to be the next hospital appointment? And when you think about these things, so often fear can come into your heart. Fear can come into your mind. You don't know what the future is going to hold. You don't know if you ever will get married. You don't know ever if you will get out of this hospital appointment. Fear can so easily grip you at that time. What does God say? Here's the promise. I am with you. I am the good shepherd. And I will guide you through the future. I am the light of the world. And I will shine a light in the dark areas of your life. That you do not know. You're very confused. I am the light of the world. And when you go to the hospital, I want you to know this, says God. I am the resurrection and the life. Do not fear about the future. I am with you. That's the first part of that promise. But God has a tendency of piling on his promises, one on top of another. And the next one comes down and he says this. Not only does he say, do not fear, he says, do not be dismayed. Now, if you are a a preacher, you like words and you want to know what the meaning of words are. And, you know, I I saw this word dismayed and I thought to myself, what does that word actually mean? And thankfully, we got dictionaries and I looked at the dictionary and I find that the word dismayed means to be shocked. 
to be horrified, to be appalled, to be physically shaken. And that happens when you hear unexpected news. I wasn't going to say this, but I'll say it anyway as part of my testimony. The 3rd of September 2015, I've had unexpected news. Picked up the phone at 9.30 in the morning to hear a voice at the other end saying to me, your son is dead. Unexpected, horrified, horrifying news. Everything seemed to have shaken on that day. But when God speaks here, he says, do not be dismayed. Why? Why, Jeremy? Why not be dismayed? Because he says, I am your God. I am the vine and you are connected to me. And because I will not be shaken, you will not be shaken. And so God turns around and says, as he says to Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. You do not need to be dismayed. I am your God. And very truly, things will come up into our lives. Big things and small things. Unexpected things. Car breakdowns. You know, things going wrong in the bank. Things being taken from you or stolen from you. Things will go wrong that will horrify you, shock you, appall you. But God says, do not be dismayed. I am your God. You see, the promise is not just for the future. The promise is for the present as well. When he promises, he promises you things for now. And not just for heaven. But the promise is not finished yet. He says that do not be dismayed. Then he goes on and he says I will strengthen you and help you. You know God never promises to take the problems away. Sadly in my 22 years of being a pastor... Some people become, a, become Christians because they think that if they become a Christian, God will somehow steer them through all the problems. Oh, I become a Christian because they hear a sermon and somebody preach a message and say, become a believer in Jesus and you will have no problems. And, oh, I, I'll, I'll do that. I'll become a Christian. And they become a believer in Jesus thinking that as they become a follower of Christ, he will steer them away from all the problems in their lives. God never promises to take the problems or to make sure you don't enter into any problem. He never promises that. But he does promise this. He promised that I will strengthen you in the problem. I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those three guys being not worshipping the idols that um, the king set up? And the king throws them into the fiery furnace. And as they get thrown into the fiery furnace, the king jumps up, looks through the window in shock and horror. Wasn't there three people that I thrown into the furnace? Why is there four? There was someone walking with them in the furnace. And he looked like the son of God. 
don't need to go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember he was praying? You might want to see that for yourselves. You'll find it in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22, verse 43. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if it's possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass me. Lord, if there's any other way that I can avoid the humiliation and the suffering and the pain, if there's any other way that I can avoid being separated from you, oh God, if there's any other way. And he prayed and prayed. And we come to these verses in Luke chapter 22, verse 43. As he was praying, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. God did not take him out of the problem, but God strengthened him in the problem. God will never take you out of the situations that you might face going in the future. But here's a promise. Everybody goes through difficulties, Christians and non-Christians. Everybody has trouble and hospital appointments and financial issues. Everybody has and face death within a family. It is inevitable. But God's promise to you is this. I will strengthen you in your difficulty. And I won't leave you alone. I will help you. In your situation. What a glorious. Wonderful. Promise. And finally. The Lord turns around and says. Here's a whole promise again. So do not fear. For I am with you. Do not be disguised. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. There it is. I will uphold you. With my righteous right hand. You know, he uses the word righteous, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, some people will turn around and say to you, when you're going through trouble or difficulty, why are you still going to church? Why are you trusting in this Jesus? Why don't you just throw it all in? He hasn't helped you. He hasn't enabled you. He hasn't taken it all away. Why are you still holding on to your integrity, holding on to your Jesus? And in my speak to you like that but God promises that he will vindicate you he will raise you up his righteous right hand you will not be embarrassed you will not be he will vindicate you and raise you up by his righteous right hand he promises to be with you all of this, at one verse, speaks about God's promise to those who make him to be their God. Those who reject the idols of this world. Those who look into their own heart, and this is very important, look into their own heart and say with great honesty, Lord have mercy on me a sinner. 
I don't pretend to be anything big. I might be a preacher in a church. I might be a deacon, a leader. I might serve in many different ways. I might give my money in different areas. But Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If a man or woman can say that, then the promises of God is open. His bank is open for every believer to draw the riches and the glorious promises of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you are so awesome and so wonderful. You do not make promises that you do not, you cannot keep. You do not speak and say a word that you cannot fulfill. You are good. And tonight we bow down before you, O oh great God. And we thank you, we bless you, we praise you for your glorious, wonderful promises. Help us, Lord God Almighty, we know how easy it is to make idols, Lord. We know how easy it is, Father God, to put other things before you. Help us, Lord, help us, I pray, to tear down every idol from our heart and to set you up as the Lord God Almighty in our lives. Father, we know that we live in a world where men tell us to think positive of yourself, to, to cheer yourself up, to give yourself all the care and attention that yourself needs. But Lord, we want to do opposite to what the world says. We want to come and humble ourselves before the Almighty God and agree with you that in me dwelleth no good thing. Come, O oh God. Pour your spirit upon your people that we might drink deeply of your wonderful promises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.